0: It's good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you are one of our guests, we do hope you will stick around at services. Let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. If you would, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 8 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. We began a series last week that I'm calling Basic Christianity. Ephesians is a book that contains... Basic Christianity. Uh, The things that Paul has written here, he says, I've written, and you can, when you read, you can uh, perceive, you can understand uh, my understanding of the mystery of Christ. And so it is written so that we come to know Christianity in its most basic elements. And so we began to unpack that last week. Ephesians 1, we looked at verses 1 through 7 last week. Let's pick up our reading here, verse 8. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever, we call upon you, most wise God, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might be wise unto the things that you have revealed. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. As I said last week, verses three through fourteen are one long run-on sentence in the original language. That's why it was difficult for me as we got going to break off our study in verse seven. But verse seven is a transition verse, as is verse 13. Because what is in view here. Is Paul praising, blessing the triune God? He, in verses 3 through 6, praised, blessed the God and Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 7 now begins praise to God the Son, to Christ, for what he did in accomplishing redemption on our behalf. That is, in fulfilling and accomplishing the will of the Father as the Father sent the Son into the world. Verses 13 and 14 are praise to God the Holy Spirit for being the one who guarantees our inheritance. And so the triune God, the whole triune God is worshipped and praised in these verses. As a result, it can be somewhat difficult to pull application for us from what is essentially a poem of praise or a hymn of praise, and yet we'll do our best as we go along. We were using last week this wall behind me as somewhat of a timeline. That is, uh, this, this corner here represents the beginning of time. This corner here represents the end of time. The cross here represents for us the pinnacle event in human history which is when God sent His Son into the world. The Word took on flesh, dwelt among us. Christ went to the cross and died on the cross, was raised three days later. The whole Christ event symbolized in this cross. But then also on either side of this, we are the time-bound linear creatures here that think in, in terms of A, B, C, and D. Whereas God is the eternal God outside of time, but we get these windows... And these windows properly placed help us to think of this, windows into eternity past and also eternity future, and what God purposed, what the counsel of His will, when you see those terms in this text, purpose and counsel and will, uh, that's God here in eternity purposing His purpose. History is the outworking of that purpose and it leads to the glorification of the triune God as well as the glorification of His people. Uh, language like inheritance comes up. Okay. That's, that's part of this as well. It's, it's true, we have obtained, we've been made a, heri- a heritage or an inheritance, but there's more in store for us in the future. And, and all of this is revealed here in these verses. And so we talked last week God has blessed us right now in the here and the now where we live. But this was all in accordance with just as or even as He chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. He predestined us. That's, again, through the window we get to see what the triune God was doing before time began. This is all to the praise of His glory. And God throughout time and history is to be praised for His glory and His glorious grace to us creatures. Which, verse 8, which he lavished upon us, the grace of God has been lavished upon us in the here and the now. And that lavishing is according to the wisdom and the insight of the triune God. Uh, We could think about the wisdom and the insight of God belonging over here perhaps uh, as the the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit took counsel with one another and with all wisdom. And and another word for insight, by the way, is thoughtfulness. God thought about you and about me before the creation, before the foundation of the world. We were in His mind, in His heart. And so, uh, with all wisdom, in all wisdom and insight. But now, verse 9, He's making known to us. And I believe this is This is a a summation of all of human history leading to the cross, which is the supreme demonstration, the supreme revelation of the wisdom and insight of God. But all throughout this, whether we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses and the Exodus, all that the prophets prophesied and predicted, the covenant with David, the covenant with Solomon, all of this history is God in, in bits and pieces and glimmers and glimpses making known... The mystery of His will. But now that mystery, which was kept hidden for long ages, has now been revealed. Uh, And and when we get to chapter 3 and verse 6, we're going to find that the mystery is how God has brought together Jews and Gentiles into one body and has reconciled them to Himself through Christ. That mystery, no longer a mystery. His will, by the way, could belong over here as well. Purpose, will, counsel, all that. Uh, belonging over here, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. and The idea of being set forth, he's been, he's been presented. He's entered onto the grand stage of human history. And now, what was kept hidden for long ages has now been revealed. And has now been made manifest in Christ. Christ right here, again, uh, in the cross. Uh, as a plan for the fullness of time. Plan is okay. Uh, we actually get our English word economy from the original term here. And, and, and really it has to do with God serving as the manager of time and history. Uh, and, and we're really going to get a strong emphasis of this in verse 11. But here we see God, it, 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 He had His plan, as my English standard says, uh, he, 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 and then He worked out His plan. And everything has been going according to plan. But it's for the fullness of the times. Literally, the, the, the plural there for times. And it's the cross which is the fullness of that those times. All these times. And now here's the fullness. It's come to full bloom. Uh, it, it's now ripe, as it were. And, and, and now the, the fruit of the fullness of the times is now available to us. Uh, it is the the... the The purpose of this was to unite all things. uh, and, And that is, Christ here is pictured as the head under which everything, all things, in heaven and on earth come together. And in fact, as history continues to work out, that's what God, through the gospel, is doing. He is bringing, uniting all things under that one head, which is Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth. In Him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. We, we've got it right now. We have it. Now, without a doubt, there's more in store. That's why we need the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance. But right now, I mean, we, we've... Um, in fact, uh, the, the, the word that Paul uses here has to do with that... Uh, uh, if you dig back into the Old Testament... It had to do with cozen by a lot, uh, you know, when they would cast lots, right? It's a term that shows up in the Old Testament when the people are uh, dividing up the land, the promised land, in Joshua chapter 18. And there uh, they were, uh, again, everything about the boundaries and the borders of the promised land fell into place according to the lot, but... We know from Proverbs 16 and verse 33 that the decision of the lot, while it may fall in the lap, it comes from the Lord. God's in charge of that. Which is important for us because this word, as Paul is using it here, is saying that that what Israel was and, and what God was to Israel, that's ours now in the church. And God will be to us what He was to Israel under the Old Covenant. And we shouldn't think about this being made an inheritance or or obtaining an an inheritance as, as something left to chance. Nothing is left to chance because we've been chosen according to the wisdom and thoughtfulness of God. Having been predestined, and predestined is one of those words that belongs over here. We get that glimpse through the window of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work. We have obtained this inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him, ready, who works all things according to the counsel of his will it could it could be translated like this he is God is the one who is working all things. Let me just pause here for a moment and, and think about this for just a second. you know I think one of the reasons that People fail to serve God, why they refuse to live in relationship with God is because for them, God is kind of far off. Right? He's, he, I can't really touch him, he's, he's distant. And so, because of that, because of that distance, I don't know that he's really involved with me or or with us. He doesn't really have his hand in things. And so we're just kind of down here doing our thing, and God's kind of up there, over there, doing his thing. I think that's, that's a big stumbling block for many people. This verse demolishes that, with prejudice, by the way, because here is Paul saying, no, 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 no. We should not think of God as far off and aloof and uninvolved. God is the one who is working all things. He's involved. He gets His hands dirty. He's intimately involved with His creation and with His creatures. And by the way, He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. That is, when the triune God took counsel and determined their purpose, their will, they uh, they purposed their work, and now the triune God is working their purpose out in time and space and history. And so what history and and, and, and everything involved with history is, is... God putting on display the fullness of all of His divine attributes. His wisdom and insight, for sure. But His grace and mercy for us. His wrath and just judgment for those who are disobedient. All of it is God putting on display and and revealing Himself. I believe this has... Again, immediate impact upon how we view God, but also how we worship and serve Him. One person put it this way, to worship is to remember who owns the house. God owns His house. He owns His universe. And so it is proper, it is right for us to give Him thanks and honor Him as Creator, if nothing else. It is right for us to recognize that reality is not just this world. And it's not just what we do or what we make of this world. That there is a reality even more real in back of what we see in this world. And that is the reality that God is intimately involved in establishing what reality even is. That the basis and the foundation for our existence is rooted in the fact that God is working all things out according to the counsel of His will. Couple this with other things that Scripture says, about, especially about Christ. Christ is the one who He, he holds all things together. Colossians 1, uh, verses 16, 17. How Christ is the one who uh, and, he, and even God is the one who upholds all things by His powerful Word, Hebrews 1 and verse 3. No, we are not left to our own devices to try and you know create a reality as we think it should be or as we see it. In back of our world is the reality that God is the sustainer, the upholder, the one who holds everything together, and then the one who is working all things out, according to the counsel of his will. You want the supreme demonstration that God is keenly involved, intimately involved with his creation? Look no further than Jesus himself. Where the creator, Christ is our creator, stepped in to his own creation, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. No, our God is—he's right there with us every step of the way, and so it behooves us to serve Him, to worship Him, to give Him honor, to give Him praise. That's—that uh, seems to be uh, what is taught here, at least indirectly. Right? Paul doesn't say. And look, since God holds all things together, or was working all things together. You need to get with the program. Embedded in this word of worship and praise to God is theology. And it is this theology that issues forth in Paul's praise. And in a similar way, what we think about God, what we believe about God is important. And what we think about God, that motivates and that drives our worship. We sang just a few moments ago about serving a risen Savior. That matters. God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. This emphasizes again, God is front and center in all of this. And then Paul continues here, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, that's that's right here, we might be to the praise of His glory. And again, I I think this is a glimpse through the window of eternity future for us. That we will be to the praise of His glory. Paul here emphasizes it's it's we. And I do think that Paul is intentional here with using this to talk about uh, the Jewish people first. They were the first to hope in Christ. Again, we know just from the history that is recorded in our New Testament, the gospel went to the Jewish people first, and then it went to the Gentile world. You see this played out in the book of Acts. We're going to be to the praise of His glory, Paul says. But then he says, verse 13, in Him, that is in Christ, you also. So from the we of the Jewish people to the you of the Gentile people, Paul is pointing to all non-Jews. You also. And here again, we see the international scope of the intention of God. That it's not just for the Jewish people, but this has exploded out into the world for, for the world. Thank God, by the way, because that includes all of us uh, Jewish folk or, or Gentile folks sitting here this morning. You also, when you heard the word of truth, and that's taking place right here, the word of truth, God, and it's a true word, right? There's. Pilate was the one who asked, what is truth? People continue to ask that even today and philosophize about it. Paul says, we know what the word of truth is. It's the gospel. The gospel of your salvation. There is no truer word than the gospel of your salvation. You heard it. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ, right? Yeah, That's you heard the word and then you believed in him. So, here's your faith. Faith coming by hearing. Hearing the Word comes first, and then faith is produced by that. But what is interesting is the way this is written in the original language, the emphasis is on the sealing. The, the, the primary verb here is, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. And, and in fact, all these things are connected hearing, believing, and then the seal. And and the seal, uh, back in their day, some folks may still do it if they like uh, old things, antique things. When, say, a dignitary were to write a letter, they would fold that up, would put a bit of wax over, over the fold, And then they would take a ring, a signet ring, and they would press that into that wax. And that would seal that letter as that wax cooled. It was sealed with the seal. And the idea was, if somewhere along the way that seal was broken, the recipient of the letter would know someone's tampered with this. In a similar way, that's how the Holy Spirit is depicted here, as the seal of God's signet upon us. Why, He can be our guarantee of our inheritance. Several weeks ago when we looked at Isaiah 53, one of the things we talked about there was how in prophecy what is depicted is the satisfaction of God. God's satisfaction is guaranteed through the work of the suffering servant. In a similar way, we have this guarantee for us as well. And when God makes a guarantee, right, it's not not this money back guarantee. It's a firm thing. It will not fail. And so here is the Father and the Son sending the Holy Spirit to serve as a seal. Maybe maybe that's, you know, that whole wax and seal and all that is a a bit too antiquated. You know, if, if you've ever been on a ranch, you've seen a show about a ranch, one of the things you know about the cattle is that, that that ranch has its own seal, their own brand. And so they take that brand and they, they sear that into the side of the cattle, marking that cattle as theirs. That's what the Holy Spirit is for us. He seals us, He brands us, marks us as God's, as the Father's. The reality that we talked about just a moment ago is that we live life with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The reality is we live life with the triune God. Again, that is the experience that Paul is leaning into as he writes this song, this hymn of praise to the triune God. What that means for us today is, as we live life with the triune God, you live life with God the Father. What does that mean? It means, well, as we've already seen, we've been adopted as sons and as daughters into the family of God. And we now have all, we have access to all of the the privileges and the prerogatives, all the blessings that God the Father has for us. What kind of blessings? Blessings all mine. That's the title of the sermon, right? Leaning into uh, one of the the songs that we sing, Blessings All Mine and 10,000 Beside. Everything we've talked about here, every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus, including uh, here, start in verse 4, we've been chosen in Him. Uh, Holiness and blamelessness before God. The love of God. What a blessing. Predestined. Adoption. uh, the, the, The glorious grace of God. The redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of all of our sins. There's the riches of His grace again. Having the mystery of God made known to us. Having Christ as ours. Claiming Him as ours and we are His. Being united in Him. This inheritance that's been talked about. An inheritance that, while we experience a bit of it now, and it's, it's glorious even now, there's even more in store. How about the glory of God? The, the Holy Spirit who was promised and now promise fulfilled. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. How about the blessing of the gospel? Salvation, the blessing of Salvation. All of these things, all these blessings, and again, many, many more, are ours because we live life with the Father. But then we also live life with the Son, Christ. And that means that we have been redeemed. We've been rescued by ransom. The blood of Jesus has been shed on the cross, and all of our trespasses, all of our sins have been forgiven. And now we can claim Christ as our elder brother, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us. We're in Christ, we're united to Christ. We have access to the grace of God. Indeed, we have the grace of God because of Jesus. All these blessings that we've been talking about, the Father channels all of those into the Son in Christ. I mentioned that phrase, in Christ, last week. It, it's a favorite one of Paul. appears over 160 times in his writings. Just in Ephesians alone, by my count, there's about 32 of those. That's a key phrase in this epistle. As Paul is explaining how all those blessings come to rest in Christ, how through what Christ did on the cross, he has secured, obtained all those blessings. And now that we are in Christ and been united with Christ, guess what? They're ours. You see how valuable the Son is to us, how precious Jesus is to us. And so I exhort you, my brother, my sister, never turn loose of Jesus. Never turn away from Jesus. Love Him, grow in your love, grow in His grace all the more. Because He really is the only one who took your place on the cross. But then also life with the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And there's there's much about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians that we'll we'll touch on and we'll continue to explore. But here we see that the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. In fact, uh, elsewhere in Paul's writings, one of the things that he'll talk about is how the Spirit dwells in our hearts. In fact, just a a little later on, he'll talk about Christ dwelling in our hearts, and that's Christ uh, by the Spirit dwelling in our hearts uh, by faith. But the Holy Spirit living in us, he, He brings changes. It's the Holy Spirit who is involved in making us holy. This is the process of sanctification. It is by the Spirit that we are made to look more and more like Jesus. And, and so there are, there are inward changes and there are outward changes that show up because of the presence of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Some of those inward changes, uh, how about uh, how about contentment with Christ? All we need is Christ, right? Right? We may be robbed of everything in this world. We may lose everything in this world. But as long as I've got Jesus. Why we sing that song. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go, right? How about how, about, uh, how the Holy Spirit produces those, uh, His fruit within our lives? How He draws out of our hearts all those things like love, joy. <clears throat> Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's the Holy Spirit at work producing those things, drawing those things out of us. How about, how about when it comes to our will? The, the Holy Spirit is at work in changing and shaping, conforming our will to the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Why we can come to a place where we, like Christ, can pray, not my will, but yours be done. And and that's really the the purpose of prayer is is to, uh, one of the big purposes of prayer is to change us so that we want the things that God wants. These are some of the inward effects of the Holy Spirit. What about some of the outward effects? In other words, things that we can see. And, and look, your life will look different when the Holy Spirit is living within you. It, he's gonna change your life. Your life may it, it was a mess because we're sinners. And sin makes a mess in our lives. And look, everyone's sin is different. Your sin is different than my sin, different than your sin, different. But as we are conformed to the will of God and conformed to the image of Christ, those sins, we we no longer want them, we hate our sin, and we abandon our sin. So our former life, very different than our current life as we live life in the Spirit. That's part, by the way, of those inward effects. See, the Holy Spirit changes our affections and our desires. We don't want the same things that we used to want before He came into our life. That's going to show up. We're not going to sin uh, like we did in the past. We're still going to struggle. Don't get it wrong. Just, the flesh is still there. The world is still real. The, the spiritual forces of darkness still set up against us. But we are learning to sin less. Remember how we talked about the, the Holy Spirit's going to draw love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things out of our hearts? Well, guess what? That's going to, that's going to manifest in your life. It will be seen. You, you, you may in the past have been just a, a sour-faced curmudgeon who didn't like people. Now the Holy Spirit's it's going to take time. I get it, right? But over time, now there's joy, and, and I'm at peace with other people, and, and, and I love my brothers and my sisters. and that's, Those are demonstrations of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. And as the Holy Spirit is conforming our will to the Father's will, that also means I'm going to have an active interest in the Lord's work. Again, prior to conversion, you you had no interest in in the work of the Lord. You had no interest in the church. But now, as a Christian with the Holy Spirit living within you, now you're you're getting involved. You're becoming active in the various ministries. And, And we've got a lot of ministries here Uh, A lot of work that we're involved in. We have our pantry Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you'd like to volunteer for that, get in contact with me, buddy, uh, one of the elders, someone, right? We can always use good volunteers uh, for a half hour in the morning and a half hour in the afternoon when we open up the pantry. We have our showers of love ministry that goes on every Thursday. Uh, Again, lots of work going on here. And now, as a Christian with the Holy Spirit living within you, now you want to be involved in those things it doesn't have to be a structured thing like we have here maybe just on your own you're involved in personal work as we used to call it right evangelism outreach sharing the gospel with other people i was encouraged this morning one of our brothers came up to me and was telling me about his encounter with someone on the job on the work side and and how he was able to invite that person to church it was a spiritual conversation divine appointment now you're looking for those opportunities or you can share the gospel with them, invite them to church, pray for them. These are all ways in which the Holy Spirit brings change to our life. That impacts the here and the now. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We have some now, there's more in store. Down payment and then we're going we're gonna to get the whole thing in the there and the then. Won't it be wonderful there? Don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity? That's what Paul is pointing us to here. And a little spoiler alert here of where we're going. One of the things Paul's going to talk about in verse 18, he's going to talk about the riches of God's glorious inheritance in in the church. You see, there's a sense in which uh, we get God, but then He gets us. That we are His inheritance, And, and it's a glorious inheritance for Him, just as our inheritance is glorious as well. We've not yet acquired possession of it. But we we look forward to it. And we know that just as God made covenant with Himself in the counsel of His will in eternity past, and then fulfilled all those promises, made even more promises throughout history, and then fulfilled all those promises and prophecies in Christ, And then has given us the promised Holy Spirit. All these promises of God point us to the fact that he who promised is faithful. And he will surely bring it to fulfillment. In the there and the then. And so we stand on these promises, brothers and sisters. We stand upon the promise that one day, on the day of redemption we will see our God in all His glory. We ourselves will receive glorified bodies to spend eternity in glory. And indeed, we ourselves will be to the praise of His glory. Until that day, let us labor, let us serve with all the energy and all the power and all the strength that God provides. And let us worship this God who has redeemed us at great cost in the cross, but was pleased to do it. Uh, that was, uh, that was uh, one thing that, uh, that also stood out in this text is that all of this uh, there in verse 9, according to His purpose, that also could be translated as according to His good pleasure. Do you believe that God has a good pleasure, a good will on your behalf? If you've doubted it, doubt it no further. My brother, my sister, here it is in all its fullness. Let's commit this to prayer. Your wisdom is... Unfathomable. Your thoughtfulness is, is too great for us. Your judgment's incomprehensible. And yet, through the Apostle Paul, you have seen fit to record in words these beautiful glimpses of just how great and gracious and glorious you are. Father, we stand in awe, and we pray that we would worship and work in such a way that it brings glory to you, recognizing that you are right here with us every step of the way, even living within us by your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.